0: Caching itself is actually based on letterboxing, which is this thing that came out, started about 150 years ago, and it's basically uh, that there's these boxes that are in hidden locations, usually, you know, located by word of mouth or riddles or something like that, and you get there, and and as it stands currently, you can uh, sign a logbook and say that you found the letterbox, and it's kind of like a passport type thing, there's a stamp in there that you can stamp your own letterboxing book, and you can uh, you can um, stamp their book with your stamp if you happen to have one. And that's letterboxing. So it's it's similar to geocaching, and there's one guy who does this a lot. He's a Scottish ar- artist named Alec Findlay, and he makes stamps of what he calls circle poems. And they're these poems that are uh, in a circle. And the one that, that I saw that it was an example of this uh, was the... It was a stamp that you can put in your letterboxing book. And the poem itself was, there's a fork in every path. There's a fork in every path. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, So geocaching, letterboxing, whatever you want to call it, is this rarefied sport hobby of finding these little treasures in, in... often in familiar paths, and you go on this web, on websites and you hear from word of mouth and all sorts of different places that the hobbyists do it um, to find these geocaches. And geocaches are just usually like a little bucket with not much in it, um, some toys, um, some mementos of some kind, um, sometimes some supplies. And there's always a logbook that you can say you've been there and you've seen it. And there's not much of value in there. It's always just kind of fun because it's just, the fun is in the finding itself. And I thought this is a perfect metaphor for my relationship with Scripture as I get older. Um, as I've read good books, gone to seminary, been in ministry a little bit. Um, there, and there's times when the old pathways of Scripture become just too familiar. And you kind of get a case of the yeah, yeah, yes. And you just sort of, meh. I know how this goes. I know how that goes. I know what that means. Um, and these little geocaches I've been able to find, little little treasures of, of language, of culture, of interpretation, of historical setting, that have kind of helped me to see the dimension in Scripture again and give me some joy back in the treasure hunt of, of Scripture itself. I mean, because I am evangelistic, you know, I'm... I'm from deep within that particular subculture, so I grew up around it all the time. I was talking to another evangelistic friend of mine, and he said, um, growing up he thought he was the reason that Jesus died because of the song, We are the reason that he gave his life. We are the reason that he suffered and died. He was absolutely convinced that in his seven-year-old self had caused the death of Christ single-handedly, and uh, and so he felt horrible guilt over that. Anyway, if you get that, and if you understand that, and if you know that song, "Evangelastic" might be you. wanted to celebrate a hundred listens um, today. Um, we've got a few episodes out, and I've got about a hundred uh, downloads, listens, whatever they call them. I'd love to think that most of them aren't my mom, um, but if they are, thanks mom. Anyway, that's your introduction. Welcome to Geocaching Scripture. Seconds worth of introduction about myself. My name is Josh, um, and I broadcast to you from Blanket Fort, which I think is important to know. Um, I have three kids, and they own my house basically. And um, they occasionally allow me some time and space to myself, in which I go into a closet and put a blanket over my head and make this podcast. I don't have a soundproof studio. This helps with the sound, and it also helps me to hide from them which is uh, what I'm hoping to do. If I happen to fall into Narnia at some point, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm going to try to follow the lectionary for Advent a little bit, just follow some of those readings. Um, I don't know if you're from a lectionary tradition. I am not. Um, but uh, some of the older Christian traditions, Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, um, Methodist, and some others, use the lectionary, which is um, a list of yearly readings that have been around yearly, year after year. There's, there's a few different years in there. Uh, that have been around for centuries. Um, And so I try to want to follow those with the Advent readings. Um, And this one is from Matthew 10. Matthew 10. And I just want to refer to it. Jesus sends out his disciples, and he uses that term, Son of Man. Son of Man. And if you spent much time in the New Testament at all, you know that Jesus uses the word Son of Man uh, quite a bit, this phrase, Son of Man. Now, um... In the interest of full disclosure here, I need to tell you that I had to help my daughter with a Netflix cartoon she was watching, and so I had to disturb everything here and put myself back in the blanket fort again. So the sound might be different, which is what's fun about broadcasting from a blanket fort. You never know how it's actually going to sound. So if it does sound different, it's not your headphones. It's me and my daughter watching Hello Ninja. Anyway, back to it. So, son of man... He uses this term 81 times in the Gospels. It appears in the Old Testament, but not with the definite article. So the Son of Man. The Son of Man this, the Son of Man that. When the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man is revealed. Do you know the Son of Man? You'll see it everywhere. And I always wondered, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I always wondered, what the heck is he talking about there? Um, And one of... One of the places that he's possibly referring to, we don't know for sure, is Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, in verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came like there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be everlasting, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So there's this figure that um, appears in Daniel. Now Daniel wrote at least part of his book in what's called the vein of the apocalyptic and it has these strange heavenly visions of, of wars going on in the spiritual world. A lot of it is meant to be symbolic. Um, and the by the symbolism of it, it, using powerful symbols for powerful realities, he uses a lot of symbols here of beasts to describe uh, some of the beastly kingdoms that were around him at the time. And the Son of Man is this ap- apocalyptic figure that will defeat these things and will and will assert a reign that has no end. So that's what's kind of kind of beautiful here um, is this character like this. Now we see this is the term that Jesus has chosen for himself ever over and over again in this term in which in which sin and death and these empires of evil, received their mortal wound from this figure, this Son of Man figure, described only in the vaguest and most frightening terms in Daniel. Jesus clearly thought of himself as this way. And he refers to himself at his trial before the high priests. Um, And in the book of Mark, he said, he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. There's controversy over this, but this is probably the strongest connection here in Daniel 7. Again, it's like the wise men and the shepherds in the last episode. We see this gritty, everyday reality like the shepherds out in the field, coming together with this cosmic and even bizarre foreign reality of the magi seeing the sign in the heavens. And Jesus arrives as this kid from down the block with a hick accent, who also happens to be an apocalyptic dragon slayer that Daniel saw in a dream. So there you are. This mix of these two things, the cosmic and the everyday. And that's one of those things to keep in mind when you think about who Jesus is, what it was like to see him on earth, what it's like to interact with him now, is this this very everyday sort of presence and person that wants you to get along with your wife and at the same time created the heavens and the earth and holds all the atoms together. So that's a hard thing to put together, you know? But do you think of that yourself, though? Here you are, a mid-level office worker with back pain, who eats too much ice cream and binge-watches more than they should, and at the same time you're a member of Christ's royal family made of stardust destined for glory. So figure that out. Those two realities together. The distant, the apocalyptic, and the everyday. We are these things at the same time. And Jesus even more so, the Son of Man. Son of Man, Son of God. So when Jesus says, son of man, he's not saying, I'm just a guy like you. He's actually referring to this. But at the same time, he is saying, I'm just a guy like you. So there you go. Daniel 7. When you need to unlock what Jesus is saying about son of man, take a look there. And that's our geocache for today. Do hope your Christmas season is off to a good start. And I know it's your Advent season. Excuse me, all purists. Pax Cheers.